Hello everybody, I hope everyone's enjoying the summer holidays. Here at uh, Shea Voisey, things are going pretty well, which frankly is a miracle. <laughs> if you've heard any of my other podcasts, you'll be aware of this. Uh, most recently, it's actually been me causing the drama instead of the smallest one. So I thought this time, this month, instead of talking about the joys of special needs kiddos, probably worth having a little chat about what happens when mum or dad go kaput. When you're a carer, regardless of whether you have special needs children or you're a carer for a relative, be it a child, parent or a spouse, there's an awful lot of weight on your shoulders to make sure that things carry on as they need to. That can be from the very basics, such as making sure homework is done, or in the case of the summer holidays or other vacations, the laundry is done, children are entertained, housework is done. If you have to get on with actual jobs in terms of employment, then you've also got to factor that in, as well as your caring role. If the person you're caring for is an older relative, maybe a parent, then you've got to factor in their needs, which are going to be very different to those needs of, say, a young child. Yes, they'll need entertaining as well, but probably sticking them in front of Paw Patrol is not necessarily going to go down well unless you happen to be adding a small grandchild into the mix, in which case you might just about get away with it. The problem comes when you, as a main carer, suddenly become incapacitated. This is not something that we are unfamiliar with, unfortunately, in this household, and the most recent event of this was the last week, when Idiot here managed to do herself in. Out of nowhere, about a week and a half ago, I hurt my hip. Now, I would just like to point out at this junction that contrary to what the medical staff at my local hospital seem to think, at 42, I'm really not that old. I may feel it, I may feel utterly decrepit, but contrary to what they think, I've not actually got one foot in the grave just yet. So... When I suddenly found myself in excruciating pain with a bad hip that rapidly worsened over a period of hours coupled with a rapidly worsening fever and feelings of being really quite unwell, alarm bells started going off quite loudly. I will say this for the NHS. They may not get it right all the time. They are, after all, only human. They are massively underfunded, overworked, underpaid and understaffed. However, they are, on the whole, absolutely brilliant. Despite being in the middle of a pandemic, my GP did not hesitate to call me in and see me immediately. As soon as he examined the hip, he had no hesitation in calling through to our local hospital and sending me straight across. The initial concern was that I may have developed a complication called septic arthritis. In other words, a rather unpleasant infection into a joint. I should add at this point, it's not a common problem. 
but I have underlying health issues that can predispose me to unpleasant little quirks like this. So this wasn't just a knee-jerk reaction on the part of a GP, but a very sensible precaution. Currently, being an accident in emergency in the middle of a pandemic is not an exciting experience. It's a very boring one involving a lot of alcohol gel, face masks, an awful lot of temperatures being taken and a lot of nose swabbing. Um, My nose really never wants to see another Covid swab again, as long as I live, please. However, I do know that I absolutely do not have Covid. Bonus! However, it does have to be said, the A&E staff were amazing, as always. Multiple tests later, without any diagnosis, and I was sent home only to be sent back a few days later after a rather strong course of antibiotics had not actually done the job. Meanwhile, this has meant that I have been out of action for the last week. In and out of hospital for tests means an awful lot of waiting around at aforementioned hospital. In the current climate, visitors are really not advised So there was a lot of boring waiting around at the hospital while x-rays, blood tests, MRI scans, etc. have been dealt with. At this point, I really need to give a shout out to my partner in crime, my husband, Jonathan, who has held the fort admirably at home. Granted, some rooms look like a bomb has exploded in them. However, I really don't care. Our son is fine, he is healthy, he is well, he's been fed and clothed. As far as I'm concerned, anything else is a bonus. But suddenly going from two carers down to one, when having two carers is already full-on and a full-time experience, has meant a huge, huge burden onto his shoulders. Under normal circumstances, we would be able to call on either my mum, Jono's parents, or any of the various care agencies that we have who come and help us with looking after Sam. Covid has caused significant issues on that front. Unfortunately, carers are very, very stretched. We are unable to access many of our usual resources, if you like, Um, Our local hospice cannot currently do home visits. Our local palliative care nurses, likewise, are unable to just do home visits because they're currently already fully booked. In terms of getting grandparents to come and help, it's difficult in the summer holidays anyway, especially for my parents, or at least my mum, because she has three other grandchildren that she also has to help care for because their parents work as well. It has made it very, very difficult to juggle things this last week. Fortunately for me, things are on the mend and very soon, hopefully, I'll be back to full strength and able to do my usual and traditional work with Sam, doing his therapies and helping out as much as usual. But it's really got me thinking about how families cope when one parent or carer is fully incapacitated on a more permanent basis. We know as a family that my health conditions will eventually deteriorate to the point 
where I'm not an awful lot of use when it comes to helping care for Sam. We're incredibly lucky because we have adaptations already in place in our house to allow us to care for Sam when that time comes. We have hoists that I can use so I don't have to worry about relying on unstable or less than strong joints that might dislocate very easily to lift him. We have a high-low bath that means I can still bath my son at a height that's comfortable for me, even as my degenerative hip disease continues and I find that being able to weight bear becomes more and more difficult. Other people aren't so lucky. I'd really be interested to hear how other people manage it, especially those who are having to manage, in many cases, multiple caring responsibilities entirely alone. If that's you, first of all, please know that I absolutely take my hat off to you. I don't know how you do it. I am in awe of you for doing it. It's one of the things that frustrates all carers when people say things like, oh, you must be a superhero. I couldn't do what you do. Yes, you could. None of us are superheroes. We're just parents or carers who love the people we care for more than life itself. So we do what we do because there is no option not to. Giving up really isn't an alternative. However, I'm really interested to know what ways people manage. On that happy note, I'm going to Scarpa, mainly because it's time for my physiotherapy. Oh good, I'm starting to understand why my son really doesn't enjoy it. It's not a lot of fun, people. Have a bit of sympathy if you have to do physio with your children or persons you care for. Make it a bit more fun. It's boring for a start. Take care, folks, and I will speak to you soon.